Dark as Last Night is the latest offering from critically acclaimed writer Tony Birch. A collection of short stories, the book highlights the importance of human connection at pivotal moments in our lives, whether those occur through the loss of a loved one or the uncertainties of childhood. One of our most prolific writers, Tony has used his talents to draw attention to social justice issues affecting Indigenous Australians and the environment. His novels include Blood, Shadow Boxing and Ghost River. His book, The White Girl, was shortlisted for the Miles Franklin Award. I caught up with Tony recently to discuss his latest work, but began our conversation by asking about another book he has published this year, a collection of poetry titled Whisper Songs. So Whisper Songs is a collection of poetry which is um, about the deeply personal and issues of race in Australia and also looking at issues of ecology. I'll read you a poem from the collection, which is a poem titled Away, which is a uh, a memorial to the stolen generations. Warmed hollow of a shared bed, a place where you once rested, is away. Your breath singing, rising through morning air to fill the rooms of houses, the life of you, away. Fingerprints marking time on a kitchen table, scars on a door frame, a bicycle wheel creaking its windmill in the yard. A mother's hands sweeping through locks of hair to untangle and savour. Away. And along a dusty road running away from home to where secrets are held in ghosting whispers, your crying feet leave no dance. Away. Lovely. Thank you. Well, that, you. that was from Whisper Songs, if people are uh, keen to um, read more of your poetry, which I'm sure they will be after hearing that. Those lovely words. But let's turn to Dark as Last Night now, which is your fourth book of short stories, I think. Yes, that's right. I hope I don't embarrass you too much here, but I was obviously looking at some of the comments of reviewers from your book because it's uh, just come out and people are engaging with it. And I just wanted to share this one from um, one of the reviewers, which is uh, Geordie Williamson in the Saturday paper. And she described you like this... um, He writes, stories as Ernest Hemingway suggested a true practitioner of the craft should, with the devotion of a priest and the guts of a burglar. But he also shares with the great modernist a determination to winnow in essentials, perhaps because he was raised in straightened circumstances. Birch has become adept at making do with less. Now, you'd have to be happy with that, I would have thought. Yeah, I've actually just got that tattooed on my back today, actually, yeah. And I'm very happy. Um, Geordie's um, always been really supportive of my work. And, in fact, I've I've been generally um, very fortunate that my work is, is generally well-reviewed and, and this book has had some really, um, really generous um, reviews. Well, from my own experience, I think it's earned it. But I just love this um, observation here and wondered if you could speak to a little bit more about the idea that it's your straightened circumstances or your upbringing which has made you or helped craft you as a writer and I wonder what your reflections on that are. It certainly has helped craft me as a writer. I think Geordie was inferring that the economy of one's life and maybe you know not having much means that you don't need to use much words that's not the case i would say that the experiences the content and the type of stories that i write are certainly influenced by 
my upbringing and my life. In this book, though, I would say it's not so much that the stories are directly autobiographical, which which they're not. It's more that the way that I grew up and my, I suppose, my values influences what I write about and the type of characters that I produce. In regard to the technique, I do produce fiction using a quite economical style. Uh, it's quite deliberate, but it's not the only way I write. So as, as you probably know, I, I, I do essays. I've, I've written academic work, which is very different. I just feel with writing fiction and poetry in particular, I do believe that less is, is more. I don't like to clutter the page and I like to be fairly direct in, in my prose. I think that's because I, I really have faith in, in readers. I believe that I'm in a, an equal partnership and a relationship with readers and I like to let the page have space to breathe and it's a place that the reader, I think, fills in some of those spaces and it's the way that I, I, I like to write. I think it's not that I, I could write, I, I think, in a, with a more, a fuller palette and I, I have in other genres, but, um, for my fiction, it just doesn't suit what I'm trying to do. It's, you know, I think it's, it's such an achievement of craft when you can read a story that, you know, and it goes, over several pages and in that you get these really rich characters and your book is full of these great characters like Little Red, Jack Garrett, Robert Moses, Raylene and the school librarian, Miss Costa. Um, they were some of mine, but can you share with us throughout the anthology who some of your favourite characters are? And, and they're not necessarily the lead characters. They're often, the ones I've picked as being really vivid are often secondary characters, but are there some there that have particularly stood out to you and where are you getting your inspiration from them? Well, I think with this book, there are several stories that have young females, teenage girls as the protagonists who are either the main character or in some instances not so. So certainly in the um, the lead story, the title story, Dark as Last Night, the, the girl in that story is the, the, yeah, she's a protagonist, but two other stories in particular, the story Flight, where an older sister goes to the aid of a younger brother, um, Nish, who's being bullied, and the uh, sisters in the story Manger, um, these are young teenager, even you know, girls who are barely teenagers. And what I like about those four characters, those young females, is their, their tenacity, their feistiness, their cheek. So in Manger's, the, the, the older sister's quite cheeky. So I like writing, or I have liked writing recently, female characters who are very feisty and very upfront. And I think it's interesting that in um, my last novel, The White Girl, we had, a, of course, a 13-year-old Aboriginal girl in that story, Sissy. And she's a lovely character to write, but she was you know, quieter. She's quite dependent on her really strong grandmother, Odette Brown. And I, I was thinking after I wrote The White Girl and started to write these stories, it's almost that these young girls are are versions of Sissy who just have a little bit more front in them. So it's a, like she's come out of the shadow of her grandmother. So I particularly enjoyed writing them. I suppose a, a character that I felt deep attachment to was Bobby Moses, the old Aboriginal guy in that story set um, on a highway or, or certainly set in a rural um, regional setting. I love that story because he's a man who's been displaced from country who has the affront to go back towards a white town and demand that he be able to visit his home country. And I love Bobby because he's also a bit wily and a bit cheeky, but he's also very, very dignified. 
So he has a confrontation um, with a local policeman, which turns into almost like a, a minor friendship. And I like the way that um, he negotiates his um, right to country with that policeman, which I think is it's about an Aboriginal man knowing the rules of the game and having to work around them to get what he wants. So I really enjoyed him. To be honest, I think that writing Bobby Moses in the sense of the type of character, I'm a really good friend with, with Jackie Charles, and I think there's a bit of Jack Charles in, in that character. And I did say to Jack, if we ever get to, to film Bobby Moses, it's a walk-up Mazur that he'd be the, <laughs> he'd be the, he'd play Bobby. So, so I re- really liked him. I think he, he I'm, I feel very attached to Bobby Moses. There are a couple of themes in some of the stories you've alluded to, and particularly in the title story that I think run through the book, and I'd just like to draw them out with you a little bit more. There there is very much a sense that there's quite a lot of uh, stories that are there that are written from a child's perspective as, as opposed to an adult's. And as you mentioned, that idea of a child navigating an adult's world, and you've often placed them in a, you know, in, in a, a, a pretty harsh world, you know, uh, just with the title story, for example, uh, Rose or Rosie is navigating a, a home life with a really violent father. These are really difficult things for kids. Why are you drawn as a writer to writing so much from the child's perspective of these worlds? Well, I suppose, I mean, several things. Obviously, that type of story is based on personal experience. So I've never been shied away from talking about the fact that myself and my brothers and sisters, five of us, grew up in an extremely violent home, our home life as children. And I think that clearly has a, a lifetime impact and leaves a mark on you. But by revisiting that type of material, so for this story, Dark Oz Last Night, it's in no way um, directly autobiographical. But I think what I'm doing is trying to make sense of that world that really frames so much of my life. And also that it's a world that, you know, it's a very contemporary world in the sense that we know domestic violence is unfortunately prevalent in many families in Australia today. And while some people feel the material is a bit tough, I have to be honest and say that in writing this, I I don't feel it doesn't become sort of difficult for me. I don't feel traumatised. I don't need to give myself a trigger warning. I actually feel that this is the reality of my experience and the experience of many kids I knew. So those children who are the protagonists in those stories, what I want to convey, I think, is is one, the terrible hypocrisy of masculinity in Australia, that this is both external and sometimes internal to Aboriginal families, um, not only, of course, to Aboriginal families, but also that children, as you say, nav- navigating these worlds takes enormous courage and it has a an impact and a lifelong imprint on, on those children. So I'm fascinated by the ability of kids to survive these um, experiences. And I would have to say that as now a grandfather with three grandchildren, I actually, it's, a, it's to show the um, complexity, Larissa, and I think to try and convey to your listeners what I'm trying to do here, there is a, a contradiction so that if someone asks me about my personal experience in the characters I write, I don't feel overly emotional about... So when you say, these, you know, it must be horrific for children, I don't remember it being as horrific as I do remember being it as normal, which is sort of horrible in some ways. At the same time, when I look at my grandkids, 
I can't imagine them having that experience because when, when I imagine them having that experience, like you, I think it would be absolutely horrific. And I think it's interesting that, you know, when you grow up with violence around you as a child, you have to, to survive it and to be resilient, you have to come up with strategies that, in a sense, don't traumatize you. It's a, it's a very complex way of growing up. So, yeah, I suppose in some ways I'm, I'm psychologically and creatively and intellectually fixated with those issues because they, they are what has framed me as a person. Yes, there are these, you know, really difficult sort of worlds that people live in where there's a lot of violence. But I think the other theme that comes through really strongly through through the stories as a bit of a thematic you're drawn to is actually how much love there is, particularly between siblings. We've already spoken of a couple of examples, but another one of the, the books, uh, the stories in the book that I really loved was one about called Bicycle Thieves, which is about two brothers and their, and their bicycles. And, um, you know, again, it's a story of one sibling standing up for another sibling and, and learning to be brave. Um, that seems to be a really strong uh, theme that you're drawn to in these stories as well, is the, the love between siblings and the sense of having to be brave to stand up for yourself and for them. Yeah, and, and I mean, there's a relative point here is that I don't think in this book and many of my books, when I deal with notions like violence in families, I, I don't focus the camera on it directly, so I don't describe violence. I'm not interested in being voyeuristic. And your point about love, then it becomes essential because what I think my stories are doing and what I hope readers understand and get value from is that the reader will understand that you know, the lives of these children and women are impacted on by violence and surrounded by violence, but it is not their life. Um, their means of survival is, is about love, it is about protection and, and is about courage and strength and that is not to romanticise that. I would say again that growing up the way that I did and thinking about the characters and the situations I, I, I write about, it's simply the fact that people must find ways to negotiate and survive these circumstances because there really is no choice. So that yeah, these children are tenacious, they are quite wily and they're quite loving. And I think that, you know, again, while the stories aren't autobiographical in a direct sense, they are emotionally so that I'm absolutely convinced that these young women, sorry, children in these stories, female children, they are so um, similar to my view of my sisters. So I have an older sister, Deb, and a younger sister, Tracy, and I would say my older sister in particular when I was a, a child, I, she was my hero. I idolized my older sister, who's only 18 months older than me. But, you know, in a sense, she was like a shield who, who protected me both in the home and in the street. And she's a very tough, resilient Aboriginal woman and a very loving woman as well. And I think that I'm always reminded of the wonderful um, poem by Alice Walker, the African-American writer, in a, a poem called Women. She There's a couple of lines where, where she writes, these women have fists as well as hands. And I love that line because it reminds me of the women I've grown up amongst who that fist they have to make or had to make is to protect their children and they have these wonderful hands of warmth. And that's the reality of, of the women in my life and the women I like to produce as fictional characters, that they are tough and loving at the same time, and that is a complexity, not a contradiction. 
grief runs really powerfully through a couple of other stories I'm thinking of together and a wonderful story in there called Lemonade. Can you tell us about how grief has been a really um, significant motif through these stories? Well, obviously, there are three stories. Um, You mentioned one already, Bicycle Thieves, Lemonade and Afterlife. Those three stories are a direct outcome of the death of my younger brother, very sudden and unexpected death of my younger brother around or a little over two years ago. And none of those stories, again, are strictly autobiographical. In fact, they're far from it. But in each of those stories, I wanted to convey a great sense of love for my younger brother and, of course, as you've just mentioned, the impact of grief on siblings when a, when, when a younger sibling passes away so violently. And in the story Afterlife, it is about a brother and sister um, cleaning out their younger brother's flat. And what I wanted to convey through that is that through the objects, through the domestic, through the tidying up and you know, getting rid of the mess of death, that these um, adult siblings are able to convey a great sense of love for their brother, but also learn something about their brother that they didn't know. So that, and it's something quite pleasant. And I think that th- this is about, yeah, we think we know each other so well. And in the event of the death of the younger brother in the story, the older siblings learn something more of their brother, which gives his memory, I think, a much, a much fuller outcome. And the story Lemonade is really important for me because it is a story about grief, but it's a story about guilt and unnecessary guilt. So in that story, the older brother feels so guilty for what we might consider a really minor incident from his childhood when he left his younger brother and went off for a swim with his mates down the river. And when he comes back after the swim, his younger brother is waiting there for him. And he feels so guilty about this for many years after. And it takes someone else, a stranger who he meets, to explain to him that that was an expression of love, of his younger brother waiting for him, meant that his younger brother had great trust in him. So those stories and bicycle thieves are really directly about um, wanting to convey or produce a, a memorial to my younger brother without directly telling his story. And the story together, I think, is just a great family story based in part on the death of my grandmother, but more about how families deal with grief of a, a matriarch and how they how they survive it. And I'd say overall, Larissa, that, and I think again for listeners, that when, when we lose a loved one, and we know that in the Aboriginal community it's so important how we grieve and come together, but certainly in other communities as well to pay respect to other communities, is that I think when someone dies unexpectedly, it can really fracture or rupture a family because people often feel guilt or they might be angry or they, they're confused. In the case of the deaths that form the basis of these stories, what I can say is that both with the death of my grandmother and the death of my younger brother it actually was the opposite our family was remarkably strong supportive and loving with each other so that if there was anything that came out of those that grieving it was the to indicate how how strong our family is how strong our family is and i i wanted the story together to to convey that strength and that need to be 
together. And I, I, yeah, I don't think it's, it's a miss to think about this in relationship to the COVID situation and lockdowns that we're facing. To be socially isolated from each other is really has a dramatic impact on us because we need to be with each other to, to sustain ourselves emotionally. Now, Tony, can we get you to give us a little reading from uh, Darker's Last Night to share a little snippet with us and let us know what you've chosen to share with us? Yeah, so I'm actually going to read just the final page of the story Afterlife, and we just talked briefly about it. And this is at the end of the day when um, the two adult siblings have finished cleaning the house of their younger brother, Billy, who has passed away quite suddenly. I locked Billy's door behind us and was about to jump on my bike and ride home when I noticed a jade plant sitting on the front porch. I'd never seen a plant that looked so close to death. I pulled it out of its pot and took the dried lumps of clay from the roots. I held it in one hand and straddled the bike. You're not going to take that coat off, Angie said. You'll pass out from heat stress before you get home. You told me that it suits me. I'm leaving it on for a bit longer. Wait, Angie said. She kissed me on the top of my nose. You know you look a little ridiculous, Joe. Billy would have laughed at you. You know that gorgeous laugh he had when he was a kid? Yeah, that laugh, I said. It was so beautiful. Pedalling slowly home, I steered the bike with one hand and held the jade plant in the other. Later that afternoon, I placed the plant in an empty bucket, washed the dried clay away from the roots and carefully took some cuttings from the plant. They felt limp and absent of life. I found some plastic pots and a bag of soil in the shed and planted each one. With a watering can, I gently showered the cuttings. I then went into the house and put the kettle on. Waiting for the water to boil, I sat at the kitchen bench and held the photograph of my brother in one hand, studying Billy's joyous face. I made a cup of tea, went back outside and sat and waited for a garden to grow. That's writer Tony Birch with an excerpt from his latest book, Darker's Last Night.